to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 235, and today we are talking about books being released on November 19th, 2019, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hey! Hey! I will just, like, say in advance to warn everybody that I'm a late fill-in because poor Maria Christina has bronchitis, uh, which is terrible. Um, But I – so fewer of my books are from this week. But they're all relatively new. So that's my story. I find that if we just talk about books, it's just fine. (laughs) Well, good, because I can do that. Yeah. But before we talk about books, we have something else that we want to discuss because we haven't talked about it. But first, let's talk about our first sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, before we get started, like I was saying, we are so excited because I started watching Elementary, and I love it, and it turns out you are a big fan as well. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited that you're watching it, and I kind of can't believe that I didn't try to make you watch it sooner, actually, because it's like so liberty-friendly, you know, murder and all of that jazz, but I'm such a fan of Elementary, and I think it's because, without to give any spoilers, uh, seasons one and two were amazing, and I love the way that they played out um, you know, the Sherlock Holmes, Joan Watson dynamic in this one so much. Like they just, ugh, they have just such a perfect partnership. I just love it forever. And I also think that Johnny Lee Miller is one of my all-time favorite Sherlock, modern Sherlocks. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, so I just thought he was like Angelina Jolie's pretty ex-husband. <laughs> But then I saw him, you might have heard of this, uh, several years ago, he and Benedict Cumberbatch did a stage performance of Frankenstein, and they would swap each night. One would be the monster, and one would be the doctor. And I saw a a screening of it, and it was amazing. And I don't don't know, I feel like we were inundated with Sherlock all at once. When this came out, it was like, the Benedict Cumberbatch one, this one, the movies, the new Sherlock books from Anthony Horowitz. Like, it was just, like, so much Sherlock at one time. And I was kind of worried because I didn't want it to be, because if you don't know, Joan Watson is a woman instead of, you know, a man, like in the regular Sherlock books. And I didn't want it to be another, like, X-Files, where Scully is always getting kidnapped, hit on the head, the target of something. I didn't want it to be like, Joan is, he's always going to have to rescue Joan, and I was really worried about that. Mm. But it is not like that at all. Like, it's very, like, there's very few episodes so far. I've watched almost the entire first season. I have two episodes left. There's very few episodes where either one of them themselves are in danger at all. So, yeah. That changes a bit with later seasons, but it yeah. is never like what you're talking about with like, you know, Joan doesn't get put in a Tupperware to be rescued constantly. Like, it's <laughs> so, oh, it's so good. She's such an amazing force and character. And I also think that, and this is important to me, that it's one of the 
best representations of what a recovering addict's life looks like that I've ever seen on, especially on like network TV. I just don't expect that to be a particularly nuanced portrayal, but I really appreciate the way that they show Sherlock's recovery process. I thought it was so good. Ugh, I just love it so much. I'm actually not, I'm, it's, it's over now and I haven't finished the last season and a half I want to say and like there are seasons that are not my favorite but oh my gosh I just am such a big fan of especially the first two seasons of that show so I'm really excited for you to finish season one so we could talk about spoilers not on this show and yeah and talk about Joan's clothes because those are amazing (laughs) I used to I used to subscribe to a blog that was just 100% like what was Joan wearing (laughs) yeah it's it's exactly what I wanted. Unfortunately, I believe like when it came out, I saw spoilers for the first season, so I already know mm. what I'm in store for for the last couple episodes, but I don't mind. But I just wanted something like fun and like silly mysteries, and I don't know why I wa- I haven't watched more police procedurals. I've never seen Law and Order. I've never watched like those shows. Like every episode of the show ends with them like in a police room talking to the the suspect or the killer saying, you know, we know how you did it, here's how, and also uh, we have a warrant and we went through your house or your office or whatever. Like, every episode, Aiden Quinn is like, we got a warrant and looked through your office, and it's like, every episode, and I'm like, I like this, it's sort of formulaic, but I enjoy that it is. Like, it's just fun. Yeah, Aiden Quinn is so good. Oh my gosh, that cast is just fantastic. It's so good. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know, I've been on, like, a super mystery kick. I transitioned out of my horror kick that I had been on for a very long time, and so now everything is, like, mystery, mystery, mystery for me. That seems um, legit. Yeah. However, I'm going to start talking about books, and my first one is not a mystery. Well, I, I guess you could call it a mystery, sort of. Um, it is Mary Toft, or The Rabbit Queen, by Dexter Palmer. Um, he's super awesome. If you did not read Version Control or Dreams of Something Something, which I'm not remembering now, but... It's Dexter Palmer. He's awesome. So this is a brand new novel. Obviously, we're talking about it. Um, it's historical fiction, but it is based on real events. Um, and also, I'm just going to go off on a little tangent there right now because it reminded me that this morning I was looking up this um, science fiction time travel book and on Goodreads, and like you know how they can ask you can ask questions on Goodreads. Someone had said, "Is this is this based on a real event?" And this this person responded, I don't know, let me hop in my time machine and go to the future and let you know. And it just made me laugh really hard. Anyway, okay, so this is based on real events, but it doesn't seem believable. Uh, it's set in England in 1726. The main characters are John Howard. He is a surgeon. Um, and now, remember, he's thinking, like, surgeon 1726. So, uh, basically, he has a 14-year-old apprentice named Zachary. And he meets Zachary because he has to operate on him. And so, like, surgeon in 1726, Zachary shows up. And this whole this book is really, really gross. I just want to start off by saying that. Um, and Zachary shows up with this horrible thing in his throat that has to be lanced. And, you know, basically it's like give the kid a bunch of gin and then poke it with a stick. Uh, and that's surgery in the Ugh. 1700s. Um, and so, but Zachary is delighted kind of by the fact that he had this terrible thing that because he gets over it and like he he's delighted by the fact that he might not have and the idea that it was could have like been life-threatening and he's very curious about this kind of stuff he's a little morbid and he's very excited about what john howard does so so he takes zachary on as an apprentice and so now he's his helper but nobody is prepared for what comes next and that is Mary Toft, the wife of a local farmer who is pregnant. 
um, gives birth to dead rabbit parts. Uh, and that, <laughs> believe it or not, is the real part of the story that this is based on. Uh, this woman, Mary Toft, was giving birth every few days to parts of rabbits. Like I said, pretty gross. Uh, and so, like, like, repeatedly, not just once, repeatedly, uh, totally stumping John Howard. Uh, the, the word got out. It was all around the city. Eventually, so that King George invited her to the to his palace so that he could witness this himself. So I'm sure no one listening expected that to go that direction because uh, I certainly did not. I had never heard the story of Mary Toft. Um, but the book is, like, about science. Is this a real thing that's happening? Like, how is she giving birth to rabbits? Um, is it magic? Again, 1700s. It could it be a witch? Is it magic? Like, is somebody performing this? Is she cursed? Um, is it a scam? You know, like, how is this happening? Or is it like a miracle? You know, because people were very religious and there were, people were afraid of, you know, offending God. You know, like, what if you don't believe in what's happening? You know, science and being a surgeon is already, like, messing with God right there, especially back then. So, you know, is it just a miracle? And, like, meanwhile, John's wife, Alice, you know, she is a woman she knows how women's bodies work. She's telling them, you know, this is not possible. But they don't listen to her because they're women. They're, you know, they're doctors and she's a woman. So, you know, it, it's like this book sort of Palmer uses a historical context to remark on sexism and the the depravity and voyeurism and conflict, con, conflict, conflict of the present day that we have with rumors and doubt and just, you know, how... People love to hear about the weird things, myself included. Hi, giving birth to rabbits. Um, I would not like to give birth to rabbits, but I, I was like, oh, I'm going to read this right away. Uh, it's just, it's so interesting. Uh, and so, and like I said, um, it's pretty gory and gross. Uh, so if you don't have a strong stomach, it might not be the novel for you. However, if like you can read The Body by Bill Bryson, um, you're totally fine. You can totally read this book. It's, it's no problem. So it is Mary Toft or The Rabbit Queen by Dexter Palmer. Okay, two notes. First of <laughs> all, I also love Version Control by Dexter Palmer. That book, like, messed me up emotionally. It was really good. And I was interested in this one, especially because, side note, comedian Hannah Gadsby has an amazing bit about Mary Toft in her latest comedy special. <gasps> Yeah, I had not heard that. Yeah, so it's just like a part of the whole thing, but it's really, really good. So, so just like that's a side note that you all should know. Okay, so now I will talk about my first pick after I'm done hitting my microphone. Let's try that again. Now I will talk about my first pick, which actually did come out this week. I'm about a third of the way through. I apologize for not having finished it. It is Wake Siren, Ovid Resung by Nina McLaughlin. And she's the author of Hammerhead, which I know we talked about like a bajillion times. And Amanda and I still recommend pretty regularly on Get Booked. And that was a memoir. And this is fiction. And they are... They're kind of, well, If okay, so let's rewind for a second. It is obviously, perhaps from the title, a retelling of Ovid's Metamorphoses. And so they are kind of just stories, but it's not 
really a short story collection in the same way that the Metamorphoses isn't a short story collection. Like they all kind of have a through line sort of, but they are very separate chapters. And much like the original material, uh, this does come with trigger warnings for um, rape, misogyny, homophobia, and incest are the ones I've encountered so far. And I think like we can all acknowledge that the Greek myths were super messed up. Like there's a lot of things that are not explicitly called, you know, rape or, you know, homophobia or whatever, but that's what they were. And so Nina in this new collection is making that really explicit and she's doing it in a fascinating way. Some of the stories retain sort of this timeless fable feel, but others have a much more updated voice that mixes with the fable feel. So people will be talking about like, you know, I don't know, TVs or cell phones, but then also talking about like the village well and weaving. So it's an interesting sort of in between where she's borrowing uh, modern day, you know, sort of anachronisms to weave into the story. But I kind of love it because it really fleshes out the voices in a fascinating way. Like I said, I'm not done. I'm about a third of the way through. And I think my favorite one so far was the retelling of the story of Arachne, which I always loved as a kid. It's about um, a woman who is so good at weaving that she challenged Artemis, Athena, Athena to a, you know, weave off basically. And then she won and the goddess got so mad that she turned her into a spider. And what Nina McLaughlin does with that story is just amazing because it becomes about class and uh and like female choices and the limiting of those choices by things like class and oh my gosh it's just oh I loved it I loved it it's also pretty heavy but it's nice because you can pick this up and put it back down because they are sort of very like they're stories with a through line but they are standing separately and they're pretty short actually so so you don't have to dive too far into it if you just want to take it in little bits and pieces um but I'm really into it and I I'm really, I really love when I see authors doing things in different genres. So I was excited for this from the get-go. So again, that is Wake Siren, Ovid Resung by Nina McLaughlin. Okay, I have one small comment yes. to make. Um, basically, it's about how my brain works. Today, I was changing the dish sponge, like I do every couple of days, and we have a, a container of them under the sink, and I reached under the sink to get one, and there was a spider on the side of the box, and I was like, oh, spider, gross. And then I got a sponge out, and I threw out the old one, and then I was like, the box is low, so I need to get more, so I wrote you know, sponges down on the grocery list, and then later today, I went in the kitchen to get something out of the fridge, and I looked at the grocery list, and I had actually written spiders, <laughs> sponges. <laughs> That's classic. I've done that. I haven't done that exact thing, but I've definitely done that thing so many times where I went to type one word, but I was thinking about something else. And so I did another one. But that's maybe my favorite thing. Oh, I love that. Don't buy spiders at the grocery store, y'all. Don't do it. Not when you can get them for free. (laughs) So my next pick is a gritty crime drama. It is called Wyoming by J.P. Gritton. Uh, and I love the sort of bleak, gritty, ex-con, drug deals, vengeance, life is meaningless, everyone is miserable sort of genre. Like, there's this whole series of books like that. I don't know why I love them, but I do. Like, uh, Nobody Move from Dennis Johnson, uh, She Read Shotgun, Sweet Girl, The Line That Held Us. It's like a whole bunch of 
books like that, and I just, I love them. And this one is so well written that it just stands out. It's not another story just like those. It takes place in 1988. It's in Wyoming. The main character is named Shelley Cooper. He finds himself unemployed uh, by his own doing after he steals from his boss because he needs money. Uh, he finds himself single, basically his own doing. His wife runs off with the neighbor. Uh, and so now he's unemployed and he's desperate and decides to take his brother up on an offer. He has a horrible, horrible brother. Uh, and you just know that you should not get mixed up with him, but he does anyway. He agrees to drive 50 pounds of marijuana from Colorado to Texas and then exchange it for a giant box of cash. Now, the trip itself goes well. The exchange goes well. But, you know, he's driving a giant box of cash, like, back to Wyoming. And things are going to go horribly wrong. Uh, and, and, like... The the whole like I said I it, this is that kind of genre where you know everything is really bleak and you know doesn't the outlook is not good for anyone or anything including like Shelley Shelley is very bitter he has a lot of resentment he resents his brother he blames him for their mother's death um, he's experienced a lot of failures in his life again he kind of like blames them on other people um, and and that's like one of the strengths of this novel is that the main character kind of sucks basically, but he's, it's just so fascinating, and you just want to know, like, what's going to happen, even though you know, like, nothing good is going to happen. Like, all of these characters, you know, they basically just get one blow after another, but, you know, whether it's, like, karmically or, you know, nothing to do with anything that they've done, it's just, like, their station in life, Um, and like I said, Gritton is, this is just an incredibly well-written book, Uh, and so if you enjoy, you know, sort of is it maybe nihilist, I would call it, kind of outlook on life um, and enjoy crime dramas. I really enjoy this one. It is Wyoming by J.P. Gritton. I have no comment on that. (laughs) (laughs) You've never driven 50 pounds of marijuana across the country? I have no comment on that. (laughs) Should we do our next sponsor? Oh, we should. I just I just got so excited to hear what you're going to talk about next. But, okay. Yes, let's talk about our next sponsor. All right. Now let's talk about your next pick. Oh, yes. Now let's talk about my next pick. So my next pick is Escaping Exodus by Nikki Drayden, which came out in mid to late October. So it's not that old. And, oh, y'all. Like, we all know by now, I think, if you've been keeping up, that Nikki Drayden writes the banana pantsist of books and surprise escaping exodus continues that run uh she is the banana pants queen and <laughs> it is a space opera uh generation ship space opera meaning generation ships that people have gotten onto earth because of course we destroyed it and they are in these ships that are supposed to take them to a new planet but because of the length of the journey involved and like potential issues people are going to grow up and like die and then have you know new generations will be born and and live out their lives entirely on these ships. So that is obviously a strain on resources. And the way that these folks have decided to solve that is by basically becoming parasites on these giant tentacled space beasts. 
So they like find one and they invade it. And they don't kill it, but they take its body over and like live inside the literally inside the bodies. Like they're off their ships, they park their ships on the beast and then go inside and like live in the body cavity around the organs and they have evolved like all of these specialized jobs so like you might be a beast worker in the heart or in like the bone section or like in like the guts or like you know the evacuation system as it were uh and or you might be one of the upper class who do not get their hands dirty and are in charge of course of all of the laws and spend a lot of time being very fancy and so this is kind of a post-racial ship in that pretty much everybody on it is brown um but the class structure is incredibly hierarchical and rigid and our main characters we get to see two perspectives one is seska who is heir to the like governance of this this ship's and ship and its beasts uh you know people and then her sort of like best friend slash love interest who um adala who is a beast worker and is definitely not considered suitable company and super not a suitable love interest for seska and this is an interesting also romance situation because in this situation because of like the resources and people are only allowed to have one kid like it's one kid per family but they made a family 10 adults basically so there's like multiple women and men per family pairing so you have like three different kinds of mothers and four different kinds of dads and it's all very kind of fascinating and complicated and the story is Seska trying to prove herself to be worthy of taking over control and Adala trying to deal with Seska growing away from her and like being forbidden to her more or less and her own journey to try to become, you know, like do the best she can for herself and her family. But that becomes increasingly complicated. And there's like a political resistance and there's all kinds of like ballroom shenanigans. And there's also like tentacles and body horror. And you're just like, what is happening? Because it's a Nikki Drayton book. And so it it goes in some really weird directions, y'all. It's fascinating. Uh, so I think that if you are a fan of like a combination of, you know, Cameron Hurley and Ursula Le Guin and N.K. Jemison and River Solomon, like if, you know, it's in that tradition and it's a super interesting take on generationships and a super really fascinating story about hierarchy and how we fight and how we love. And it's just, man, the world building as always, you're just like, how, where does this come from? Like, where does your brain get these ideas? I never read anything quite like it. So again, that is Escaping Exodus by Nikki Drayden. Okay. So now I'm going to talk about something completely different. <laughs> Nonfiction, which I don't think I've read a lot of nonfiction this year. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did, but I don't think I have. So I really enjoyed this one. It's called Snow, a Scientific and Cultural Exploration by Giles Whittle. And it's very much like Rain, which was another book that I enjoyed that came out many years ago. Like these micro histories about weather. And this one traces snow from the prehistoric humans to present day. I like to do this thing where... 
I try to imagine what the world would be like if something disappeared or if we didn't need something. Like, if we didn't need food, how many different industries would be affected? You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that kind of game. And so, snow is, like, another one of those games where if you try to think about, if it didn't snow, like, how many jobs and other things would be affected by it? And it turns out, like, pretty much everything. We could not get by on the planet without snow. Um, It is, snow removal is, like, a multi-billion dollar industry. And so uh, the author talks about the science behind snow, like what causes avalanches, uh, how snow helps with our drinking water, the different types of snow, uh, like snowflakes, because, you know, that's like one of the first things you learn when you're a little kid is like, no, two snowflakes are the same. Um, And also he talks about the future of snow and how climate change, climate change, I can't talk today, climate change affects it. Uh, spoiler, nothing, there's nothing good coming uh, in the future of snow. Um, but, like, he also talks about sports. There's a whole chapter on skiing. Um, there's a talk about uh, snow during the Winter Olympics. The, uh, James Bond, there's a, a skiing scene in a James Bond film. He discusses that. Uh, and then yetis. Like, because you can't talk about snow without yetis, which I just call snow bigfoots because that's <laughs> what they are, really. Um, and aside uh, Colin Dickey has a book coming out next year about Bigfoot and other creatures, so that's exciting. Um, but back to Snow Bigfoots, um, you know, he talks about the legend of the Yeti, like where that came from, and uh, records, like s- the amount of snow that has fallen, the most snow that can fall in one day, um, and snowfall around the globe. He talks about snow in art, uh, and he makes everything so interesting. Because you'd have to, right? Because you're talking about, like, snow. And unless you're, like, a huge fan of the weather and weather patterns, some parts of snow is not that exciting. Um, But it's so meticulously researched and so well-written that it's just so fascinating. I've just said so 17 times. Um, And (laughs) it rhymes with snow. (laughs) But um, it's... I would not be surprised if, like, everybody is getting this at Christmas because it's the perfect time. Personally... I don't like snow. I live in Maine. I don't understand why. I don't know why I still live here. When I was a little kid, I'd be like, I hate snow. I mean, I don't go out in it that often because I work from home now and, like, I read inside. But I just, I never enjoyed snow. And it's so cold and it has started snowing little bits here. I know, like, in other parts of the country, they've received a lot of snow already. Um, Every year I'm like, why do I live here? And then for the summer, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is why. But then it starts to snow again. I'm like, ugh. Um, but this, you know, helps. It's, it's kind of cool to, to learn about snow since there's not really anything I can do about it. Um, you know, maybe one of you can do something about the snowfall. I don't know, but uh, I don't have that power. Uh, so it is Snow, a Scientific and Cultural Exploration by Giles Whittle. I love a micro history. Oh, it goes, I guess that kind of is more of a macro history, but it's anyway, a specific topic history is perhaps the words that I want. Uh, that sounds great. I would not be sad to get that for Christmas. So even though nobody gives me books anymore because they know better. Right. Yeah. I also have a nonfiction to talk about, which I have not read that much nonfiction this year either. But two 
of the nonfiction books I have read are memoirs from the Queer Eye Guys, because obviously I read Tan's memoir, Naturally Tan, which is fantastic, and you all should read it. And my pick for this one, which it came out in late September, so it's a little bit older, but even so, I never got to talk about it on the podcast yet, so I'm going to talk about it now. It's Over the Top by Jonathan Van Ness, and wow, I was not ready. Like, I saw the New York Times profile, I believe it was in Times, that did a profile of him the day before this book came out where he ta- he sort of pre-revealed his HIV-positive status and, you know, got into a little bit of the details that are shared in this memoir, but I really wasn't ready for it. He has gone through so much in his life, um, including, you know, facing homophobia, growing up, and then also uh, being abused as a child. He's dealt with drug use and self-harm. So there's a lot of really serious and intense topics in this book. But it's also Jonathan who is, you know, made out of sparkles and rainbows. And so it's a really amazing sort of journey to go on with him to understand, you know, how he became the person that we have all you know, seen on Queer Eye and like I personally have come to love him and uh, and love watching him. And so it's really like love him. Like I don't know him personally, John, and I'm not like trying to be like creepy or stalkery. I just think he's amazing to watch on the show. And and he has been through so much. And I will say that they he has really captured his voice in this and so he'll do things like you know he'll tell funny stories and you know talk about how much he loves his mom and then he'll be like okay and now we have to talk about something serious but first here's my sixth grade report on the clinton impeachment hearings and it's just so funny and you're like oh i can totally see how sixth grade jonathan would have written this like as his report about the clinton impeachment hearings like i just it was so and then you know he gets really real about the difficult things that he's been through um but he does it all with such joy and love and such care for himself and i think it's really beautiful to see And, you know, he talks about one of the reasons that he wanted to do this memoir in this way was to help with the destigmatization of people with HIV and AIDS. And I so appreciate that because, you know, so few of us are taught anything real or useful about this. And it is not gone. And, you know, science is making so many strides forward, but it's it's not over. And I just think it's a it's a thing that we just don't get educated about. I mean, I certainly didn't. And I think it is like if you're a person in the world who cares about this kind of stuff, it's your job to educate yourself. But he's here to make it easier and also like really super entertaining <laughs> along the way. And he tells some stories from behind the set of Queer Eye as well. And like it's just it's just so much more than I was ever expecting, honestly, from any of these Queer Eye memoirs. Like, I thought they would be fun and fluffy, and they are fun, and they do contain some fluff, but they deal with really intense issues and topics really frankly and really honestly, and I just have so much appreciation for it and 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 have enjoyed reading them immensely. So if you have fans of the Queer Eye, the, you know, reboot in your life, like these memoirs are great Christmas gifts, just, like or holiday, whatever holiday it is that you are celebrating. Like these memoirs are amazing gifts because they are really great. And the audiobooks, I believe, are mostly read by them. 
I should double check that. But anyway, they're great. They're great. So this concludes my pitch for Over the Top by Jonathan Van Ness. All right. While we are talking about holiday gifts, um, Tirza and I are going to be doing the holiday book episode next week. Nice. So that will be fun. Um, and so now, my last pick this week is also from the end of September. I didn't get to it when it came out. I kind of forgot about it. Someone told me it was awesome. I bought it. I read it. It was. It's called Rules for Vanishing by Kate Alice Marshall. It is a documentary-style YA horror novel. Um, I, I, like I said, I am transitioning out of my horror. I can't. I feel like I say horror strange because I, I don't know if it's my main accent or what. But every time I say it, I'm like, that's not how you say it. <laughs> but anyway... Um, I am transitioning out of that phase into the mystery phase, but I did get this anyway because I will never pass up, you know, a great recommendation. Um, it's a YA novel. It's about a place called Briar Glen Woods. There is a young woman named Sarah. It has been a year since her sister Becca went missing. And there is the rumor about the road that appears in Briar Glen Woods uh, starting back in 1953 when... Uh, a young girl named Lucy went missing, and her brother swears that a road appeared out of nowhere in the woods, and a man showed up and led little Lucy away by the hand, and when her brother went to uh, go rescue her, like, run after them, the road disappeared, and boom, they're gone. That's it. And so now it's, like, the stuff of legend, like, that, you know, kids talk about, like, once a year, this road shows up and who's going to be brave enough like apparently like if you know all the rules of the road you can go on it and come back and so you know there's a bunch of bored teenagers hanging around and Sarah overhears her sister Becca talking about how they should try playing this game with the road and then you know Becca's gone so now like that's the next thing is like Becca's missing she's been gone for a year Sarah decides that she is going to try to find the road herself. It's been a year. She knows when it's supposed to show up. She knows, like, it's like a game. You have to get through, like, seven gates, and there are keys, and there are all these obstacles that you have to overcome, and if you can do it all correctly, you know, you can get through it. Uh, So she and eight of her friends go onto the road. Are they all going to come back? Mm, I can't say. But it's told in sort of the documentary style I was mentioning in that there are interview transcripts, text messages, emails, video transcripts. Um, it's kind of like the Blair Witch meets Slenderman meets Labyrinth minus David Bowie's crotch. Can I say that? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, Legit, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now I get all distracted. Uh, so uh, it's really fun and spooky and scary. It's called Rules for Vanishing by Kate Alice Marshall. Nice. Um, my last pick is on spec because I haven't gotten to it yet. I'm waiting for my library hold to come in because I somehow missed getting a galley of this. Bad job, me. Uh, it is Realm of Ash by Tasha Suri. And this is book two in the Books of Amba series. The first one was Empire of Sand. And I don't know about y'all, but I loved that book 
so much. It was one of my favorite fantasies of 2018 because it was inspired in part by Mughal India. And that was something I studied in college. I'm a history nerd. And so like to see that setting done in a fantasy world was so exciting to me. And I really loved the characters and the world building and the plot line and the way that magic worked. I just loved everything about it. Um, and the first book followed Mare, who is the older sister of the character in book two, which is super exciting to me. Like, I love when a series switches POV from book to book, because even though, you know, I get super attached to my fictional babies and like want to spend all of the time with them forever. I also really am always really curious about the supporting characters and like, what are they thinking? What did they think about this? And what are their lives like? And one of the nice things about this series in particular is that the first book had, I felt, a really satisfying ending, even though it is clearly leaving the door open for future adventures. Like, Mare's struggle comes to not, like, a total end, but, like, it comes to a point where you're like, oh, yes, okay, like, this has been resolved to an extent where it's not a cliffhanger, and I feel a release of that tension, and I'm happy for them, and I'm also sad because sad things have happened, but, like, I feel that there's, you know, things have been resolved enough that I can, like, breathe again. And then having a book, too, that takes place, I want to say, you know, it's years later, maybe, like, a decade later, uh, and with a side character, it's like, oh, we're going to get to see so much more of the world, and we're going to get a totally new perspective perspective on the events of the first book and I just I'm just so excited and I just can't wait for it uh so hopefully that will come in sooner rather than later because I'm super impatient now that I remembered it was out I also forgot it was coming out because you know there are so many books coming out all the time and it's easy to lose track especially books two of series as I'm terrible at remembering to check for those but I did remember when I was prepping for this show and so this is my pitch for everybody to go out and read Empire of Sand and then get Realm of Ash and we can all talk about it so again that's Realm of Ash by Tasha Suri okay those are our somewhat brand new somewhat not as new books today. What are you going to read next? Well, so I'm like neck deep in Get Booked reading. So if you want to hear me talk about those books, you'll have to tune in to the next Get Booked episode. But in the meantime, I'm also excited to read a little bit of a holiday story. I do like to read holiday collections sometimes. And Amanda was just talking about this one called If the Fates Allow, edited by Annie Harper, which is an LGBTQ romance collection of short stories so i'm super into that and she's described a couple of them and apparently there's like dogs and nosy ladies at the coffee shop and just all kinds of things that make me need it immediately so um yeah so that's if the fates allow edited by annie harper i unsurprisingly am going to read american sherlock Murder Forensics and the Birth of American CSI, which is a true crime slash biography of a gentleman named Edgar Oscar Heinrich, who it says here was one of America's greatest and first forensic scientists in Berkeley, California. Uh, so, because, you know, I'm all about the crime right now. <laughs> oh, 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 can we just talk about one thing for a second? Um, Okay, it's, it kind of spoils one episode of Elementary, but it came out in 2012, and I'm not going to tell you what <laughs> episode, and you're going to be fine. Uh, I had to look this up because I did not know this was a real thing, and you're going to know immediately what I'm talking about, Jen. Um, if you are ill and you are the recipient of bone marrow, like you get bone marrow from a donor, you 
then have that donor's DNA in your body. Yeah. Do you remember that episode? I do remember this episode. I had I had never heard that before because yeah. obviously like somebody leaves behind some evidence and there's questions about the DNA and like how is it this person's DNA and when I looked it up I was like no way is that real like they're making this up like what <laughs> and when I looked it up I read this article about it and it was like is often used as the premise in many crime shows and books <laughs> and it was the first time I had heard it myself I had never heard that before that's so like amazing like take science. that DNA testing yeah wow so amazing anyway. So that was my super excited um, story about that. So that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Jen for filling in at the last minute. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to let us know something, tell us more about, you know, elementary. I'm super obsessed. Um, <laughs> you can find us online. We mostly hang out on Instagram. I am friends and comes alive. Jen is I am Jen I R L. Jen with two N's. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, I have to go watch Elementary so you can read about more <laughs> titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.